Pamela Private Eye. This is part two of Murder on Ice. When we left off, Pedro and Rebecca had just arrived at the restaurant with Josue. And Rebecca was telling Pedro that her mother had ordered her to continue to abuse Josue while they were at the restaurant. This is where it all comes down. So when they get to the restaurant and he unlocks the door, they come in. And she immediately tells Josue, you know what to do. You need to take your clothes off and climb in that big garbage can. And Pedro turns to her and asks her, what what are you doing? And she tells him, hey, this is none of your business. And she starts getting water and starts getting scoops of ice to put in to this garbage can with Josue. And Pedro says, you know what? You guys, you're going to continue to get in trouble. You can't do this. You can't do this. And she says, that is exactly why we have to do this. You keep babying him. You are the problem. He's like, you stay out of this. Because mm-hmm. of what you've done, this is why we have to discipline him. You have made him very disobedient with, oh, from staying no. with you. So you stay out of this. Like, mom told me to discipline him. And this is what I'm going to do. This is none of your business. And Pedro tells her, you guys are crazy. And he walks off. He goes into his office. He reads through emails for a little bit. And then he goes out, starts turning on the lights in the restaurant. Okay. He says he never thought that she would still have him in that water. He thought she would put the boy in the water for five or ten minutes. Shame on Pedro. Shame on him for not checking. Shame on him for allowing her to put him in at all. For not checking. But when he mm-hmm. comes back, it's now been at least 35 minutes, 40 right. minutes. We know that from the emails when Pedro was checking emails and stuff. And the boy is now unresponsive. He's got hypothermia. He's dying. And Pedro comes in. See, boy is unconscious. Okay. He said he was moaning a little bit. And he says, like, what are you doing? I thought you would get him out of the water. Right, right. So he pulls him out. The boy is freezing cold, unresponsive. I said, did you do CPR? Was he breathing? Did you check his pulse? And he said, I can't even imagine. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Did you dial 911? Did not dial 911 immediately. They did not do CPR. Ugh. I said, was he breathing? And Why? Uh, I, I wish I knew. I wish I could answer that. I think mostly... He was terrified. Yeah. I think they were both terrified okay. at this point. Right. And Pedro says, he said, you don't understand. In Mexico, like I know here in America, you guys all learn CPR and you do CPR. Right. But we don't do that. We don't know that. We They don't just teach us that in Mexico. And I didn't. Okay. Yeah, okay. He said, a I didn't thing. know that. Okay. What I did know is I had seen a movie where... They had taken a woman's compact, the mirror, and held it in the movie. They held it up to the person's nose. And if they were breathing, it steamed up the mirror. And I'm like, oh my gosh, are you kidding? Like, that's how we're supposed to test to see if this boy's heart's beating. If he steams up a mirror, how how pathetic is this? So they are terrified. They panic. And Pedro says, I have to call 911. So right. he calls 911. Good. But here's where we get into the obstruction of justice. This is the second count. 
they were terrified to tell the police what had just happened, that she had put this boy in cold water. Okay. So they dried the boy off, put his clothes back on, and then EMTs arrive. And EMTs say, what happened here? And they tell... Why is his body so cold? Right. Yeah. And they tell EMTs that this boy had a seizure and now he has died. No, 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 no. start asking, well, has he ever had a seizure before? No, he's never had a seizure before. Okay. So initially, I want to bring in on this case now because we, we always talk about the defense side of things. Dr. Phil says, no matter how thin, it, there's always two sides to every pancake. So so let me introduce you. This is Cal Osler. And Cal worked with the medical examiner's office at the time of this murder. Cal, we've talked about my perspective of things and Pedro's perspective of things. Tell me, how did this case come to light in your world? How did you learn about this? Well, I was a death investigator for the medical examiner. And as that, I'm charged with finding the cause and manner or assisting in finding the cause and manner of deaths that fall within the purview of the medical examiner. That particular day, I remember it. It was a Sunday morning. It was hot. It was late in July, close to the 24th of July. And I got a call and they said, we have a young boy that died of a seizure at a restaurant. I said, well, Mm -hmm. was he eating? Uh-huh. And he said, oh, no, he was there working with his sister, and he had a seizure. I said, does he have any history of seizures? And he said, no, I don't think so. And I said, well, you better call homicide. Is homicide down there? They said, well, no, but why would we want homicide? I said, little boys don't fall over from seizures, okay? That doesn't happen. So uh-huh. I went to the scene, and when I got to the scene, I walked in to see a, a boy. Oh, I don't know how you do that. I still have images in my mind from every murder case I've done, just from seeing the photos, not actually being at the crime scene right at the time. So that must be really taxing on your soul. Not while you're doing it. Really? That comes later. After you're outside the tape, after you've been expelled from the system, right. that's when the nightmares start. And that's when it all comes back and starts haunting you. I, uh, I have to listen to the TV at night and get focused on something else. Otherwise, there's a couple of cases that come back and haunt me. It's Mm. not the blood and the gore. It's uh, working in the morgue, because I did that before, is way different than going to the scene. When you're working in the morgue, it's a piece of meat that shows up with a piece of paper, and it's a story. Right, right. It's a story that you read, and you see the body. Yeah. When you're out there, when you go to a scene, you're walking around where the person existed, and you're touching, and you're smelling, and you're tasting. It's real life. Their environment. Yeah. Yeah. And it has a marked effect on you later. Yeah. The, I don't know whether you want to call it excitement or whatnot, but when you're inside the crime scene tape yeah, and the lights are going and you're trying to figure out what's going on, you just kind of get lost in it. It's kind of a delayed yeah. um, syndrome that later on it, it plays on you. Yeah. And you really don't know what's happening to you until well after the fact. Right. So oh. I went to the scene. I walked in and some cop there told me, paramedic said he's cold. Okay. So I walked over. Dad, he's going to start assuming room temperature. I mean, that's what the body does, right? But I walked over to him and immediately I noticed on his forearms, there was some modeling. I guess the best way to describe the way it looked with him is it was kind of like fern leaves that were pink and reddish over the skin. And you see that sometimes in hypothermia. 
yeah. that wasn't occurring to me right at the moment. I'll tell you why. Right. I can see why it wouldn't. He's laying on the floor and they've got a makeshift blanket of black napkins laid out underneath him. In the end, as I go back to this, this is probably the only real Columbo case I ever had. Yeah. Where, you know, somebody had done something and they tried to cover it up. Right. I walked in and this kid was wearing short pants and they were unbuttoned and I could see his underwear. He was wearing socks and he was wearing a red and white shirt. And his arms, like I said, were mottled and I touched them and they were wet. They were not wet, wet, but I could tell his skin had been substantially wet for a long time. Like when you get out of a swimming pool and I looked up and he was laying in front of a sink full of dishes. So I looked at it and said, well, maybe the kid was helping with the dishes when this right. happened, you know? Yeah. Then uh, I took a liver temperature on him. I, I made a hole in his skin and, and placed a thermometer in his liver so I could get his core temperature. Now, his core temperature was 78 degrees. It was almost exactly 20 degrees lower than a normal healthy person would be. That's the problem. It became the whole pivotal point of this investigation. That's kind of a fascinating story, and you see how disjointed the system can become the way it's set up, okay? Understand this. The medical examiner in this state has no police powers at all. They have no power to call any kind of an inquest, nothing, mm -hmm. okay? They determine cause and manner. Police take the evidence that are produced, and they're the ones that prefer charges. Medical examiner, by statute, once I arrive on the scene, uh, they take custody of the body. When I walk through the door, I own that evidence. Okay, and I can say what happens to him. And that's really the only authority we have. They want us there because they want to get the body out of there. And they also want medicine to tell them, you know, how the person died, the cause of death. And then usually when it's murder or suicide, the police kind of figure it out. You give them suggestions. I've had murders where the police said it was a suicide. Anyway, we're there just to make a determination of cause and manner. Like, really, when it comes down to it, we're just clerks collecting information and then passing it on to the physician. And the physician is going to do what the physician wants to do. And right. it's a disjointed system. Yeah. Look, when you get to the morgue and you're doing an autopsy, the folks up there, they're just like everybody else. They want to get their job done and they want to go home. Okay. Right. So, and <laughs> And it gets really bad when you're dealing with decomposed bodies because nobody wants to hang around a decomposed body. They want to get it done and get done with it. So here's the problem. When you go up there, they want to do the autopsy. Yeah. And so they always invite the police to pick up whatever trace evidence you need from the body. Hairs, fiber, blood samples. Right. All the blood that you see at a scene isn't necessarily blood from the victim. It can be blood from the perp. I went through some stuff with the great Henry Lee, and he showed me in O.J. Simpson how the perpetrator's blood probably was washed down the drain at the medical examiner. Yeah. And in this case, what I was just talking about here is when we get to uh, medical examiner's office, they bring these cops up and these cops are supposed to process a decomposed body for fibers and evidence. Are you kidding me? Right. They're, right. They look at it and they're ready to vomit and they're scared to death of it. On the kids that were murdered or any chance that they were murdered, I always right. went to the autopsies. Uh -huh, right. Many of them are just absolutely horrified of even being there and seeing people being cut open. These are, for the most part, these crime lab techs are younger people, and it's their first exposure to death, right. and they've never seen anybody cut open. And you're expecting them yeah. to go over and touch this body 
and go through this body right. and what they're looking and for. collect evidence, right? Well, okay, yeah, well, if they're not, not going thing. to do that, the medical examiner's position, we're just going to process the body so Will holds it down. So on these kind of cases, and the boy... Josue. Josue. There was no way no. I was walking away from that one. So I no. was up there mm-hmm. for the autopsy. But anyway, I went through the crime scene. There were some strange things there. There was some vomit in the toilet in the men's room. You never know what evidence is. Is that evidence or is it not? I don't know. Right. They flush it. I'll never have it back. So I took a sample right. of that. It's probably still frozen down at the state crime lab because you never get rid of homicide. Oh, I didn't evidence. know that. That's oh, interesting. Yeah. Then I went into the female's restroom and there was right. water on the floor and there was a garbage can there. A large 55-gallon kind of Rubbermaid heavy-duty commercial garbage can. And there was water all over the floor. Yeah. But there was a plunger in the toilet. And I looked at it and I said, okay, so the toilet overflowed in here. I mean, that's what they wanted me to think. But then we go back, I took the kid's temperature. I'm trying to figure out how the kid is cold. Right now, there aren't alarm barrels going off that say homicide, homicide, homicide. His sister that is there and some other guy that was a friend of the family is what I was told. This is Pedro. I didn't know he was an employee. I didn't know any of the backstory. I'm trying to figure out, it was hot. And I said, they have a walk-in cooler. Maybe the kid spent some time in walk-in cooler. But I'm equating as he's 20 degrees. Okay. There's 20 degrees different. The liver, given standard room temperature of 70 degrees, the liver will lose one to one and a half degrees per hour. Oh, okay. that's pretty slow. Yeah, and I have the kid on video walking around at 7.30 or 8 o'clock. Now it's 10 o'clock. Two, three hours later, he's missing 20 degrees. Yeah, and yeah so that's way I'm, too fast, huh? Yeah, way, 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 way too fast. I need to make a determination on why. He had been down in the basement doing something. I see books like he was coloring or something down in the basement. That's what my memory says. But I was looking into this. Was there a walk-in refrigerator that maybe got trapped in for a little while? Or maybe he went in and laid down and took a nap to cool off? I I just don't know. I'm trying to figure it all out. So we wrapped it up there. Shamaran was, he was a sergeant at the time. This case made him a lieutenant. He was a homicide guy from Salt Lake City that was there. Thank goodness, he's a good one. And he came up for the autopsy the next day. And we did the autopsy and we got to the brain and he opened the head up and he pulled the brain out. He looked at the brain, he was examining the brain, he was cutting it down. He said, this brain is really soft and mushy so I could go. So this was Dr. Gray, the medical examiner, right? This is Todd Gray said, I could go with seizure on this. I could call this a natural. And I said, we're missing 20 degrees here. The kid's liver is 20 degrees mm-hmm. colder than right. he should be. He says, that doesn't bother me because I have this brain that's soft and that's an indication of seizures in and of itself. So I can sign it away as a natural. See, all he's concerned with is getting rid of the case. How am I gonna, what can I call this? And what evidence do I have to substantiate my claim? Right. He's not hearing what I'm saying. I'm saying we got 20 degrees. Kid with liver was right. 78 degrees. And yeah. I, the thermometer I had in his liver and my calibrated thermometer both read the same. Uh-huh. Right? So I knew it wasn't the thermometer. Right. I told right. him it's not the right. thermometer. There wasn't an error, huh? No. Right. And he yeah. was cold. When I touched him, he was colder than he should have been. A lot colder. Yeah. And so yeah. Gray wraps it up. 
Go ahead. Was he in full rigor at that time? Actually, this seems okay. counterintuitive, but okay. its rigor has to do with the chemical reaction of oxygen not being burned properly and it's using ATP and converting it to lactic acid. So the hotter the body is, the faster oh, rigor sets. Really? The colder the body is, the slower rigor. That's very interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. And if somebody's been exercising yeah. a lot, rigor will set a lot faster. Because oh, they've already oh depleted all the I oxygen and now they're burning ATP. And as they burn ATP, the lactic acid builds up and the blood isn't taking it away. And that's what causes the, the muscles to tease out. Oh, yeah. And then really? it'll fade after about 48 hours as right. the tissues start breaking down. I had the, no the idea. That's very, fade. very interesting. So I wouldn't yeah. expect a cold body two or three hours to have rigor. After mm -hmm. death, I didn't see it in this kid, but hypothermic patients will turn a cherry red, just like carbon monoxide. Their skin, mm -hmm. the liver mortis isn't purplish, it's bright cherry red. And I didn't see that in this kid, okay? But if you die out in a snowbank uh -huh. and I pull you out of there, seven out of 10 people will have cherry red. Another thing that happens, interestingly right. enough, is called paradoxical undressing. They'll get out there and they'll get cold and they'll start shivering and they'll lose all their body heat. Then they start taking their clothes yeah. off. So you find these naked people laying in the snow and you think it's the axe murder from hell and it's not. It's just a, your, your body gets confused and it takes the clothes off. You take the clothes off even though you're freezing to death. It's just it, weird. You know, when, you, really when you think about like when your so, kids, little kids weird. go out and play in the snow and they come in and their hands are so mm -hmm. red and yet they're so cold. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense when you said that, mm -hmm. they, that the skin would go red in a hypothermia situation. Yeah, right, it's a bright, right, that makes sense. Red. Interesting. So I was arguing with Dr. Gray, okay? Now, obviously, you don't argue yeah. with your boss. I was arguing with him a little bit, and then Shamaran, after Gray had left the room, he said, how big of a deal is this? I said, it's physics, man. The kid lost 20 degrees, okay? He should have lost two or three. We've got 18, 19 degrees we can't explain. And until we explain it, we don't know what happened. Yeah. And he said, so this is a big deal. I said, no, it's the case. Yeah. I just become associated with Henry Lee and I'd just gone over to Taiwan and reconstructed the assassination attempt on the president of Taiwan with lasers. And I got to know Henry Lee pretty well. And he told mm -hmm. me about the Elizabeth smart, you know, they brought him in to help with Elizabeth smart. And he said, it was really easy for me to tell you that it wasn't Reese, the big fat guy that they thought it was. He couldn't get through the window. Right. The window's yep. too small. Yep. If those little things, cow, cow, he called me right. cow, you say something wrong here, cow, <laughs> and you look how it, it's explained, <laughs> something wrong, something wrong, you have to explain it, cow. All right, Dr. Lee, you say so. So this is what was going through my head. And I'm telling you, I couldn't explain the yeah. 20 degrees. I couldn't explain it. Give me a reasonable explanation for it. Yeah. Tell me that he fell asleep in the freezer and they found him in there and pulled him out. No, that's not, there was no excuse for it. So I'm driving down the highway two or three days later and I hear on the news that the sister's been charged yeah. with the murder of the kid. So I called up Gray to find out what's going on because I don't know. Yeah. And Gray says, you're right to be concerned about that liver temperature, Cal. Yeah. Turns out that the sister put him in ice water. Mm -hmm. And even when I retired and they gave me my little plaque mm -hmm. here, he made a big deal about that. He said, this is the only investigator I ever had that come in, 
help out in autopsies, but came to the autopsy. And it's his persistence in this case that cracked it. Yeah. Without him, the police would have never cracked this, and I would have signed it wow. out as natural. Really interesting. Thank you so much for your time, Cal. Thank you. Um, My pleasure. So uh, Pedro's sick about this, and I'm explaining, like, Pedro, like, why didn't you stop her? And, you know, if it was me or you or mm -hmm. someone who's strong enough, they would say, hey, you're going to put that boy in that water over my dead body. Right. But when you preface that with all of the times that the mother has been telling Pedro, like, hey, I killed my husband. You right. stay out of this. This is not right. your business. You're mm -hmm. the problem. You're the reason this kid. And Pedro, I got to tell you, he's like I say, he's a really quiet, timid man. Right. I'm not excusing it. I'm really no, not. No, 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 no. But there are so many wrong turns. Fear just, I don't know. Yes. This yeah. lands back on that sister and that mom, I think. It should. However, what yeah. happened was. It didn't. It took a little bit of time, and when they did bring them in, it turned into he said, she said, because oh, all of a sudden Rebecca is Rebecca like, suddenly, he did she this. puts on this show, she starts crying, she's like, oh, this was so horrible, he was my boss, I didn't dare stop him, she actually flipped it, so that, oh, oh, no. that Pedro, yeah. Yeah. Pedro was the one disciplining in this way, and she was not. She was not participating is how she oh, flipped it. Man. And yeah. prosecutors believed it because Pedro was charged with capital murder, and she was charged with first-degree murder, and they were both charged with obstruction of justice for the cover-up, for okay. not telling them the boy was in ice water, mm -hmm. drying him off, and then putting clothes on him. Oh, I didn't even think of that. It just is horrifying. To do that, yes, to yes, to be in that situation, to be doing that, yeah. And mm -hmm. Pedro was certainly haunted by it. So now, knowing those facts, when I get the DCFS reports and I see that there are reports from a year ago, a year and a half right. ago, of her putting the boy in ice water for her and Rebecca disciplining is, him by this is their method, this is their pattern, exactly. This is their mo. Is there right. one word in mm -hmm. any report about? Pedro ever doing this? No. Pedro no. was never involved in any of that. There was never a statement that Josue had ever given that Pedro was harmful to him. In fact, in the DCFS reports, they ask him, hey, is there anyone in your life that helps you? He referred to the woman at the bakery that would give him food and Pedro, who would buy him clothes and let him work with him sometimes. And, right. And right. right before the murder, he ended up living with him for, like I say, for that month before. So in sure. my opinion, the government in this case screwed up really, really bad. They literally okay. took the one person that was trying, the one guy that was him. trying to protect the boy and save him, right. and then charged him with capital murder. Okay. And I was so distraught. I couldn't get Jack's attention on this. It was really hard to get Jack to listen. And so I went to... Gary, who's another investigator that worked with us, with me, with Jack. And I explained it to Gary and I said, look here. And I showed Gary the DCFS reports and how DCFS was, in my opinion, panicking because, sure. oh no, here we have this boy and we knew this. And right. I was thinking, hey, you know what? If you're going to put Pedro behind bars. I also want that caseworker behind bars because they knew this was happening. Right. I Pedro didn't know about the ice water. The first time right. he learns of ice water is when Rebecca 
doing it at work. Right, right. Anyway, I'm not suggesting Pedro didn't deserve to serve time. He absolutely did for the obstruction and for not protecting the boy. Right. But capital murder? Oh, hell no. That is not fair. He's not the one that murdered him. Right. Right. So I get Gary fired up about it with me. I love Gary. He was a great PI. And Gary and I talk to Jack and Jack's like, uh, just not as fired up as I was hoping he would be. So Jack did agree to let Gary and I talk to the prosecutor ourselves. So we did. We went to the prosecutor and explained. We showed them the DCFS reports Mm -hmm. and showed that, hey, I know you think that this is Pedro, but there is nothing in any of these reports that he's involved. There are many reports of Gloria and Rebecca abusing the boy. Right. But Pedro's not in there anywhere. So the prosecutor agrees at that point to drop the capital and even drop first degree murder and to drop it down to second degree murder, child abuse. Okay. And one count of obstruction of justice. So he's looking at two second degree felonies. I was like, okay, that's progress. I'll take that. And we're getting closer to trial. I did not know what happened with Patricia, Pedro's wife. She was... Like, seriously, really sweet woman. She wasn't as timid as Pedro, but, like, she's not educated. English is her second language. She doesn't speak hardly any English. And Mm -hmm. not terribly confident at all. And we had a couple meetings with her and Jack, and I would always translate between the two of them. And, which I always love translating for people because I always have fun because I make stuff up sometimes, but I can't ever do it without <laughs> laughing. So, right. So, just like not about serious stuff, but when it's, when oh it's yeah, okay no, no, no. Yeah. Light and mm-hmm. yeah. I, I will make jokes and stuff. And, and I did that then. And we had, I thought we had a great time. I do not know what happened. And sometimes Jack would just do this where he would just decide that someone offended him for some reason. And he would turn on them like so bad And Jack turned on Patricia and said, I do not want to talk to that woman. She is horrible. She is awful. I don't like her. And he would no longer talk to her. Anytime she wanted to talk to him, she had to ask me the questions for him because he wouldn't sit down and meet with her again. I found that very, very offensive. And yes, and she's paying him a lot of money. I don't care how offensive she is. She's paid him a lot of money. Yeah, that's not right, Jack. Exactly. And then it got worse because it started getting close to trial. As we were, oh, probably a year from trial, Jack tells Pedro and Patricia, hey, we're getting ready for trial and you have only paid me $50,000. Remember, you owe me another $50,000 or I will back out of this. I won't be your attorney. And if you don't have me for your attorney, you're really going to get screwed. And absolutely desperate to keep Jack as their lawyer. Sure. Patricia sent, she sent her three-year-old daughter to Mexico City to live with her mother and sister to raise her three-year-old. Like when it first happened, they let go of the house that they were living, renting. And she moved in with a friend so that she could pay very little rent. And she took on three jobs. Since she didn't have her daughter there anymore, she could work like nonstop. Right. If the sun right. was up, Patricia was right. She was working nonstop so that she could give all of that money to Jack. Okay. 
she and her family and Pedro's family, everywhere they were, Mexico, U.S., wherever they were, everybody was contributing every spare cent that they had to contribute sure. to this sure. other 50,000 owed to mm-hmm. Right. I said to Patricia, this was only a few months before this thing came to a head. And just so you know, my fee, that 2000 bucks that I make, Jack wouldn't take that out of his money. He sent that bill in addition to the money that he billed them. So they oh, would okay. get bills from me besides. Right. And okay. as we got closer to trial, and I knew how hard she was working and it just broke my heart. And I said, hey, look, have you paid him the other 50000 And she said, I'm working on it. I'm saving. I've got a whole bunch of money saved. My family's got money saved. There's, and they're all they're sending it to me very soon in the next two weeks. And I said, please, please, please do not pay him that other 50000 yet. Because I believe we're going to reach a plea agreement on this. I don't think we're going to go to trial. Okay. And if we can work out a plea agreement. Then you've already paid. Then you don't need to pay him. Yeah. And okay. if you give him the other 50000 I don't think you'll ever get it back from him. So please don't pay it. And I said, and my bills that are coming to you, like from here out, mm-hmm. if you get a bill from me for like a couple hundred bucks or 300 don't pay it. Don't pay okay. me. Don't, because they, okay. would, they would actually pay Jack. They'd pay Jack's office and then, and then Jack would pay me. And I said, okay. do not pay it. What I know is, Jack was not going to let me not be paid because Jack needed me. And okay. I didn't have a problem having Jack pay my fee. I really yeah. didn't. He right. was making very no, good money. No, you're working for him. Yeah. Yeah. A week or two passes and I say, hey, don't pay that. Okay. Like, trust me. And she said, oh, my family, we have raised, we've, we've worked really hard and we've saved all the money. We're ready to pay. And we don't dare pay it because we don't dare not pay him. Because if we don't mm-hmm. pay him, we don't think he'll represent us. He won't help Pedro. And I said, yes, he will. I think we're going to mm-hmm. work out a plea. And she said, we don't dare do it. So they paid him the other $50,000. And within two weeks of that, we had a plea offer for the second degree felony for Pedro, child abuse homicide, and second degree obstruction of justice. I thought that was a great deal. And then I heard okay. that they'd also offered the exact same deal to Rebecca. What? Uh, how can yeah. that, that how can that be I, was just, mm-hmm. I mean i know rebecca's only 19 years old and she's following her mom's orders but oh my gosh seriously it just did not sit well with my soul right. at all right. i hated it so when it's second degree on all of that is that prison like he will go to prison yeah. it's just not the death oh, yeah. penalty but okay so for capital murder of course, you could get the death penalty or okay. life in prison with no parole. For first-degree felony, you get five years to life in prison. Okay. For second-degree felony, it's one to 15 years. And third-degree felony is zero to five. I was still holding out my opinion. I didn't want to make a decision on what I thought at this point. I wanted to see, because once you decide to take a plea, then they will do a pre-sentence report where they have a pre-sentence like APNP, adult probation and parole, where they have someone from the government come and they go okay. through all of Pedro's history with him, all of it to see, right. Does he have mm-hmm. any kind of criminal background? Does he like, how right. is this guy? Is he is cuckoo he cray cray? Society? Mm-hmm. How much time do we recommend? And their mm-hmm. analysis of this and opinion, their reports are 
used very, very heavily in court. Oh, okay. And when Pedro, when his report was done, because he was not violent, the report said that their recommendation was six years in prison. Okay. And I thought, you know what? That is a great result. He obstructed justice. Right. He didn't protect the boy. That's fair. If he gets six years, he'll probably serve four, maybe five and get out. I think that's fair. So we start preparing for this. And Pedro asks me one day, should I take this deal? Mm -hmm. Because he really trusted me. And I said, yeah, Pedro, six years. Like, I know that seems like a lot, but you're a good guy. You don't have any violent anything. You're very kind. In fact, that's the problem. That's the reason you're in this spot is because you were too nice. You're too timid. Yeah, take the deal and you'll get out in a few years. I know it's rough, but that's fair. So he decides he'll take the deal. We get ready for sentencing. Jack had asked me to prepare that DCFS report so it would be very simple and easy for the judge to read and see that. Mm -hmm. I did. I highlighted everywhere that Gloria was charged with the abuse. Gloria and Rebecca were charged Mm -hmm. with abuse. Gloria and Rebecca would put him in ice water in the bathtub of ice water all night long. No question that they did that to him before. I think he would have been killed long before if... Rebecca and Gloria had had access to as much ice as there was at the restaurant. Oh. I think the only difference. Is they ran out of ice. I think, yeah, think about at someone's home, yeah. you have a limited yeah. amount of ice. So right. he'd be cold. Okay. He'd be in, in the bathtub shivering all night, but not dead. Right. Yes. But the difference was that all of a sudden Rebecca was at the restaurant and she had access to that a big ice machine. Unlimited. And, yep. Right. So it became fatal. So I highlighted all that for the judge in hopes that he would read it. And as we get ready for sentencing, the defendant will have the opportunity to do a statement from their perspective, in their words, the statement of facts of the case of how they got Mm -hmm. in this spot. And Pedro's statement was heartfelt. And the regret, remorse that he had for not protecting the boy more and Mm -hmm. for allowing that Mm -hmm. to happen and for being gone so long to be checking his email and turning the lights on to not come back and check on the boy. His regret was heavy. It weighed very heavy on his heart and he expressed it very well. And the facts of the case were consistent with his report. So when we were getting ready for sentencing, Jack and I went in the side room that they have where they keep the inmates we're getting ready to come into court and we went in there and Jack's a pretty very strong personality very aggressive and Pedro is this this little little he was this little skinny Mexican guy and he was terrified to walk into that courtroom and to face his fate for his participation Mm -hmm. in this and he was asking questions and I was translating for him and say, he was saying it, but Pedro understood a lot of English. I was actually begging him to do his statement Mm -hmm. because he had an opportunity to give a verbal statement in court. And I was begging him to do it in English Mm -hmm. because he could speak English. Well, he didn't, he was too scared. Mm -hmm. And I I understand that it's a second language. So he used a translator for that. But when we were in that side room, it was just Jack and, Pedro and I. Jack was asking, how are you doing? And Pedro said, I'm really nervous. I'm, I'm scared. And he said, is this the right thing to do? 
and Jack reassured him, oh yes, this is the right thing to do. This, this is six years, this, mm -hmm. this is a, a fair deal. This is a good deal for you. Then Jack takes, it was the sweetest thing, the big, strong Jack, who's so rough around the edges. Jack put his hand around Pedro's shoulders and he said, listen to me. I want you to know, and Pedro wouldn't look up at him. Jack stopped him and said, no, Pedro, look me, look me in the eye. I want you to look at me. I want right. you to really, uh -huh. I want you to really get this. And Jack said, Pedro, you are not a bad man. You have a good heart. You are a good man. Right. And Pedro's eyes just filled with tears. My eyes filled with tears. It's like he was just starving to hear that because the system was right, just being right. so, so right. harsh. And I'm, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to tell people how to think, but it, it was harsh. It was tough. And maybe he deserved it, maybe he didn't. I think he didn't deserve all that. But that was, I will never, ever forget how moved I was by that moment and how moved Pedro was by having this big, strong man tell him, you're a good man. Right. You have a good heart. Yeah. And Jack was is big into Catholicism. And Jack said, you will go to heaven. And Pedro yeah. was Catholic. Also, this really like touched him, moved him. And we went from that to, to go back into the courtroom where <laughs> Jack was ignoring Patricia, Pedro's yeah, wife. Okay. Um, Rebecca was there. She was being sentenced at the same time. Uh, Gloria was there. The mother was there, of course, because her daughter's being sentenced. And Pedro's being sentenced, who she claims is the man that killed her son. Which right, I, right. oh my gosh, like hard. Yeah, that's a whole, stomach yeah, that exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The media was everywhere. This was a huge, huge case, big time news story. Right. And so they let Rebecca give a statement. I don't even remember Rebecca's statement. It didn't, it, because she was totally just pointing the finger at Pedro. He did sure. this and how horrible. Sure. And now I'm in this spot, blah, 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 whatever. And then Pedro gave his statement, and Rebecca cried in her statement. Pedro cried in his statement. Both of them were using a translator. And then they allowed Gloria to speak, because as the mother of the victim, you get sure. to speak, to have a victim impact statement. And she got up to talk and turned her entire statement was turning to Pedro and criticizing and telling Pedro how awful he is, mm -hmm. attacking Pedro, telling him how much she hates him and she will never forgive him. And the judge stopped her. I'd never seen this. The judge stopped her and he said, you do not address him. You are yeah. addressing the court. You talk to me. Right. Do not talk to him. Pedro. You are not talking to him. You're talking to me. And she was like, oh, your honor, I'm sorry. And then she continues goes right back into it and crying and to me it was just all this drama because that right. was just phony because I know how she felt about Josue right. it's just completely an act like right. what a crazy world this is she turns to, uh, to Pedro and she starts yelling at him again attacking him again the judge stops her a second time and says I will not allow this if you do this again I will stop you you won't be able to give a statement 
And she's like, oh, yes, Your Honor. And she, it stops for about 20 seconds and then goes right back into it. He literally never seen this happen. He stops her and tells her to sit down. You're done. Serious. Yeah. You are done with this. Yeah. Yep. And I am thinking, oh, wow. I think he read my report that, that right. I, right. all the stuff I put together with right. the best. And yeah. this is awesome. And then it's time for the judge to sentence them. And as he goes through his, the judge's statement about all of this and how horrific and tragic this is, he points out how Pedro's statement is consistent with the police reports and the DCFS reports. And that this case smacks of a need for a committee for when Pedro arrives at the prison for the committee to be able to analyze the case. It was like a psychological team that they had there to okay. analyze the risk of this person, case, all of the facts of the case, and figure out once they get to prison where they should be in the prison, how long they should be there, what would help justice, this person and society, to try right. to balance all of that. And he said, this case smacks of a need for this. However, the government has just cut back and literally cut out that department. That department what? no longer exists. Yeah. Oh, no! So there is okay. no committee. There is, there is no one to protect Pedro. Exactly. And no one to look through this and see. And, and he says, basically, in his statement that Rebecca, her statement doesn't match at all any of the facts of the police. Pedro's statement does. Therefore, I believe Pedro's statement. And even though we don't have a committee that will help with Pedro, Pedro his sentence and his time in prison, I am going to write a letter that I will put in Pedro's case file. Okay. When he gets to prison and the parole board looks at his file, right. that they will see that I have explained that his statement was truthful and it right. matches with the facts of the case. It was highly emotional. Yeah. Patricia, his wife, as they're crying, every, everyone's crying. Pedro is, I'm crying. It was really, really intense. The media is everywhere. So when he did the plea deal, then he automatically got six years because that's what was decided? No. How it works is, that's a great question. So the judge sentenced him to the two counts of two second degree felonies, which okay. would run for one to 15 years. Okay. And he ordered those counts to be served consecutively. Okay. Which means not at the same time, they one after another. Right. Okay. So that troubled me a little bit. They could have it run like, okay, serve three years on one, three years on another. Okay. Maybe that's what the judge was seeing. That's what it, it, he didn't actually go into details of that. Okay. But in the state of Utah, not every state works this way, but in the state of Utah, so the judge, basically, he agreed to the deal that the prosecutor and okay. Jack had okay. about this case, and Rebecca's defense lawyer also. He agreed to that, that they would plead guilty to two second-degree felonies. Re truly, the judge was really only deciding whether those counts would run consecutively or concurrently, Okay, meaning okay. they'd be at the same time okay. or, or one after the other. He chose to have them run one after the other. That made sense to me because of the seriousness of the crime, being okay. that it was a murder of a child, okay. and that the media was all over this. So okay. they want to make sure they 
everyone gets the message. I'm tough on crime, especially against a child. So we're walking out of the courtroom and the media is all over us. When Jack and I and Patricia and Pedro's other family that are there, when we walk out of the courtroom, the media cameras are in our faces, microphones in our faces. I never make a statement. Jack rarely makes a statement. He won't make a statement during trial. He will only make them after. Now the plea's done, sentence is done. He will make a statement now. So I was very pleased because as we walk out and they, the media asks like, how do you feel about this? Your client was just sentenced. And Jack said, justice did not happen in this case because we have DCFS reports that DCFS knew about this abuse, that the mother and the sister that has been charged, mm -hmm. that the mother was ordering this abuse. Mm -hmm. Not only was she doing the abuse, but she ordered the abuse the day of, that this happened. And DCFS should be held accountable for their not protecting this boy. They had information about this a year ago, mm -hmm. and I'm going to follow through with this. I'm going to go after DCFS and charges should be filed against Gloria, the mother, mm -hmm. because she mm -hmm. made this happen, right. participated in this. Right. She was doing this abuse and then she ordered it to be continued. And the media was like, oh, like, wow, this is so big. And then they went to get a statement from Gloria. Gloria wouldn't talk other than, oh, this man killed my son and I'm so heartbroken right. over it. They had to have a translator for that. And then they say, well, what about this big defense lawyer just said that you had done this abuse and, and then she just walks off. She won't even comment. And so I'm thinking, okay, good. Jack's going to do something. So we leave with Pedro's wife and family. Right. And we find a little side room that we can get away from the media and talk for a minute so Jack can explain what's happening. We go in the room and Jack tells Patricia, even though he absolutely despises her at this point, he's told me that, she's told me that. And I asked her, she's like, he won't talk to me anymore. I asked her, did you do something to yeah, make like him what? upset? Yeah. And she said, how could I ever talk to him without you there? Yeah. yeah I can't talk to him because I don't speak English. Yeah. So you know everything I've ever said to him. I'm not kidding, Shelly. Never, ever did I hear one word that could have been considered that she was angry at Jack. Right. If right. I were Pedro's wife. She worked so hard to get him paid. Exactly. Yeah. So we, yeah. Get, we go in this little room and Jack explains like, well, you know, now we got the sentence and this is good because he's got recommendation for six years and mm -hmm. the judge agreed to all this. So we're in a good position. And I know you paid me the other 50,000 so that we could go to trial. And I'm not going to give that money back, even though we didn't go to trial. You'll get your money's worth because when he gets to present his argument to get out in front of the parole board, the board of pardons, I will represent him on that. So it's all good. It's okay. And I'm, it doesn't, my heart is like, this is not right. This doesn't feel right. Heavy, 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 yeah. heavy. Mm -hmm. I don't say anything no. to them. Mm -hmm. I don't say anything to Jack because uh -huh. this is my livelihood, but I'm sick. I'm really sick about it. I right. know how hard people worked and they don't make much money. They don't make the kind of money Jack makes. They, no. don't, even, they don't even make the kind of money no. I make. Just, just didn't feel right to me no. on any level. So within the first year of going to prison, you find out what the parole board, like they give you a release date for when you, after you get in. Okay. And I get a phone call from Patricia and she is heartbroken. She is crying. Pedro had just had his meeting 
to find out when his parole date was. And they gave him a parole date of, now mind you, he was sentenced in 2009. Release date was 2034. What? They hit him with the full 30 years. Hit him with the full thirty years. They disregarded pre-sentence report. Anything, anything Anything. that was said. I was sick about it. I called the parole board and told them, "Hey, I'm the investigator on this case. Please, like, tell me what do you have in there from Jack?" And here's what I learned. And I didn't, I didn't know about this stuff on this side because I was usually done with the case and I was just out at this point. Right. What I learned was. When Jack said, hey, don't worry, I'm going to keep that out of 50 grand because I'll represent you with the Board of Pardons. Here's what the law is in Utah. I don't know if it's the same in every state, but in Utah, when an inmate, because now you're convicted, it's no longer like you're not a defendant. You're an inmate. You're a convicted felon. When when the inmate is going up before the Board of Pardons to see if he can get out early or when his release date is, he is not allowed to have a lawyer present. So what? Right. Jack was not allowed to be there. So Jack. Oh, so I did Jack know that I can't say whether he knew, but Jack is a big time defense lawyer. My experience with Jack, whenever we'd be in a courtroom and there was a question about law, I saw judges defer to Jack about, Hey, what's the law on this? Do you know? And Jack would explain it to them. So I don't know if he knew it, but it would very much surprise me if he did not know that. So I called the parole board and said, Hey, I, I am sick about this. I told Pedro to agree to this plea because Mm -hmm. I believed the pre-sentence report would rule the day as it usually does. And that he would be released after six years at the worst Right. And now he's got a parole date 30 years from now, please. Like, and they said, well, you know, he pled to two secondary felonies that were to run consecutively. So that's how it works. That's 30 years. Yeah. But that's not what I, or 25, I guess, if you do the math. Yeah. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I said, okay, that's crazy. Crazy. They were devastated. I was devastated. I completely heartbroken over this. And I said, please at least tell me, is, is there anything in the file from Jack, his defense lawyer? And they said, oh, yeah, there's a letter in here. Okay, you don't have to share the letter with me. They said, yeah, here, there's a one-page letter here from Jack. And I thought, wow, that must be a really impressive letter. That's a $50,000 letter. Right. It doesn't sit right with my soul. I don't like it. No. It's one of the reasons I'm doing the podcast. I don't think that. People are treated fairly, not only by the system, but oftentimes by their lawyers. Uh, I think it's wrong. So what happened to Patrice? She stuck with him for about seven years, and then she just couldn't do it anymore. And so then she divorced him and moved away. And their their daughters, man, she's got to be like 20 or something now. And he has not seen his little since she was three. Ugh. What happened to Rebecca? Rebecca, this I'm a I'm a bit frustrated by that too. Rebecca got 30 years. She got the exact they treated okay. her exactly the same as Pedro, which I would be okay if she got 30 years, but I don't know. Part of me thinks 
that's not fair. She should probably get 20. Yeah. Gloria also. should have Gloria serve 20 also. It, Gloria was never even arrested or anything, any of this, right? They never investigated her. Wow. Jack said, I've no. seen Jack do this a few times where he says, this is really horrible. I'm going to do something. We're going to investigate this and we're going to go after DCFS. Yeah. We're going after yeah. Gloria. Looks good it on looks the news. looks really good on yeah. the news. It sounds great. And this guy's really fired up, but I never, never heard one word about it. Never heard one thing. So I've been sick about it. I actually, wow. I actually helped Pedro in his last hearing. I can't help like a lawyer can't help. Inmate right. could not have anyone speak on his behalf at a hearing. The victim or their family, they could speak, but okay. inmates speak themselves, but they can't have any witness speak for them. You can right. write letters on their behalf. So okay. I did. I wrote a letter to the Board of Pardons, okay. and I said, I have never done this for another client before, but my opinion of Pedro and his character and how hard that he worked and his family worked, as I've gotten to know them right. and I've known them for years now, I'm very impressed with him. I agree he obstructed justice and he deserves some time. This doesn't feel right to me. And I helped gather letters from everyone. And his former wife, Patricia, helped helped in that she wrote a letter okay. on behalf of Pedro. And I thought we really would get something out of it. They reduced his time by five years. So I think his... As of today, in 2021, he has already served 14 years. Yes. And the last time he went up to the Board of Pardons, you said that they reduced it from 34. But they reduced it five years. So it's got to be 2029, which to me is okay. It's progress. I don't, I don't want to discount the progress, but it's not what I hoped for. I, letter, I literally said this. Hey, look, Pedro is so timid. The reason he's in prison is because he was too timid to stand up to do the right thing. To make it, yeah. He's here illegally. So as soon as he's done, America's going to throw him back over the he, border. He's going to Mexico. He has, absolutely. He has family yes, in Mexico he City. Mm -hmm. He has family he can work for. Here's what is really cool about Pedro. He did not have a high school education when he went into prison. He has a, he, not just a GED. He actually has a high school diploma now. And he's in the process of getting his associate's degree. Bachelor's? It, yes, his bachelor's degree. Oh. And he's doing IT stuff. So his computer skills are really good. Okay, so he went into prison with not a high school diploma. Are you kidding? He went into prison okay. with a grade school education. He dropped out of school like okay. would be equivalent to our middle school. He's got his high school diploma. Yes. And then he did college classes. Yes. And he's does he have his bachelor's or he's working he's towards working it? He's working towards it. He has, wow. he has his associates. And he's working towards his bachelor's. Right. He has some teachers wow. in prison that absolutely love him, that wanted to write a letter of recommendation okay. for him. Like two, three years ago, they changed the rules in the prison. Every time they change a rule, it seems like it goes against Pedro. They changed the rules so that they will no longer okay. allow a teacher or a counselor or a caseworker to make a statement on behalf of the inmate. I totally disagree with that. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay. I, maybe not even a teacher. I, if, if I'm a teacher in a prison, okay. But if you've got a, a counselor and a caseworker, who knows them better exactly. than those two people? Exactly. That's ridiculous. I know. And I spoke with them as I was getting ready for the last one. And I said, hey, tell me what your opinion is of Pedro. I've been very impressed with him. She raved about Pedro. 
He goes to every religion, right. goes to every Bible class he can do. Right. He has a job where he works. And when he's not working, he's in classes to get his education. She said, I like, I have so few inmates <sighs> that I deal with like this. And I would love to do a letter a recommendation to recommend that right. get out and the prison will not allow it. They just changed the rules. So they won't allow it anymore. And I agree with you. Like that is absolutely ridiculous. Who knows them better? Right. What a shame that the people right. that know them the best are not allowed to speak for them or to speak against them. Maybe they. Right. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. Right. If they're, never- excuse the French, if they're the biggest asshole, right. then they need to know that. Exactly. And yeah. He's never had a write-up on wow. him. He's never been in a fight. Wow. It is it is crazy awful. I get so frustrated by it. And he is the sweetest guy. I get cards from him every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, mm-hmm. like just different times in the year, just saying, hey, thank you for being my friend. Sure. You're such a good friend to me. It yeah. breaks my heart. Part of my argument to the Board of Pardons in my letter was, hey, look, even if you think like this guy's guilty and he's horrible, right, that he did something awful, Right. Look at it this way. Why, as Americans, why are we paying to house this guy for 30 years when we're only just, right. just going to throw right. him over the border when we're done? That's a huge expense to us. And what we know about Pedro is he's so timid. He didn't dare stand up to a woman to stop this from happening. I guarantee right. you he will never cross the border again because he's terrified of getting in trouble in this country again. Right. These are real people. They're real lives. I feel horrible for Josue. I always have. Mm-hmm. And I actually feel horrible for Rebecca also. I think she's a victim to this. She most likely was abused by her mother. Right. And when people grow up in that, they very often right. become abusers yeah. themselves. It's a cycle. So there's this, the cycle. this little part of me. Mm-hmm. It is a cycle. So there's a part of me that thinks as, you know, when I hear how horrible Josue's life was mm-hmm. and, and his the ending was tragic, awful, mm-hmm. awful. Maybe it was a blessing that he got out of this. Yeah. The road he had ahead of him was rough. Yeah. That is my story about Pedro. That is my case of murder on ice. Thank you for listening to Pamela Private Eye.